Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hi, Ashley. Hey, Katie. How's it going? It's good. I'm excited today to kick off with a shout out to one of our amazing listeners who sent us a really rad email. And I wanted to just give her a shout out because I appreciate her contacting us. Her name's Jen LaValley, and she lives out in Seattle, Washington. And she had come across this really great feminist take on a passage from the Gospel of Mark, written by one of her ministers growing up, who's a woman. And we'll we'll link to it in the show notes or copy and paste some of it in the show notes so you can read it. But I just really appreciated her taking the time to think of us and send us something that she thought we would like. And she also wrote this in her email. Keep up the good work. I love your take on issues and your discussions on applying faith in the Bible. And we love listening, hearing from our listeners. It's like such a treat to get um, something in our inbox that's not spam, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So just want to encourage any of you, if you come across something that you'd like to share with us, please drop us a note at team at kindredspodcast.com, or you can contact us through our website, which is kindredspodcast.com. And if you haven't yet, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The app has made it really easy. You can just scroll to the bottom and give us your star rating and leave us a review with your thoughts of the show, and we always appreciate that feedback. Yes, it helps other people find the show, which I'm sure you've heard from other podcasts, but it's true. And it makes us feel really happy. And we'll read it yeah. on we'll read it on our next episode. <laughs> yeah, we get really excited whenever we get a new review. It's cute. It is. We also want to plug our Patreon page. This is a way for you to support the all the technical stuff that we need to host the podcast from month to month um, for our website and for hosting the episodes. So if you want to donate on a monthly basis, you can go to patreon.com slash kindreds and you can do a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, and we would appreciate any support that you can give us. And I think we have um, something special for our next patron, oh, right? Oh, yes. Thanks for the reminder. I have a copy of Linda K. Klein's book, Pure, which I reviewed on episode 23, which I will send to the next patron who signs up at the $7 or more level per month. So go ahead and go do that. And that book is yours. Oh, fun. So speaking of fun, we get a lot of questions from listeners um, about our thoughts on just all kinds of things. Uh, so we're planning... Uh, in a few a few episodes from now, we're planning to do a listener request episode. So if you want, send us your emails, hit us up on Facebook and our Kindred's Facebook page with your thoughts. We will take anything you want to anything you want to know. We'll take questions. We'll give advice if that's what you want. If there's something you really want us to share our thoughts about, uh, let us know and we will incorporate it into a listener request episode. So be on the lookout for that. You can email us at team at kindredspodcast.com or find us on Facebook. Exciting. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm a little nervous about (laughs) what people might want to know. But um, but yeah, we get questions all the time and I people reach out with ideas for future topics and things like that. And it's not always um, things that we can build like a whole episode around. So this will be a great chance to just have us like share our thoughts on something that you're interested in hearing about and we can kind of put it all together with with things other people want to know as well. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And today's topic is actually something that was really popular in our Kindred's Patreon group on Facebook, which was mm-hmm. money, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I'm surprised it's taken us 24 episodes before now to talk about because you and I talk about money all the time. We do. And you know, this was on the list when we first started coming up with ideas for podcast episodes like, over a year ago. Um, this has been on the list for a while. And I, I'm like you, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to get to it. But we're here now. Yeah. So let's let's take it back. What did you learn about money when you were growing up from your family? Hmm. <laughs> Loaded question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what did I learn and what did I not learn? Yes. Well, that's uh, a good, yeah, that's a good question too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I've shared on the podcast before that I grew up my Early childhood was um, in a single mom household, so money was tight, and that was something that I didn't probably realize until I was older because my mom did a really good job of kind of hiding that from us when we were really young kids, but I would classify, looking back at, us, at our family now, I would classify us as working poor um, until my mom 
remarried and then we had dual incomes. But um, there was there was a while there where we were in that like gray area where we didn't have quite enough to get ahead, but we had too much to qualify for assistance programs. Mm -hmm. And so we were just in that like weird, weird gray area that a lot of families are in, especially in Mississippi. Um, And so I remember I was on like the free and reduced lunch program at school and things like that, but we didn't, we weren't quite uh, eligible for food stamps. And so, uh, and we, we lived in a rented house until I was in late high school and um, things like that. And I have, you know, some memories around that. Like I went to school with the, with the girl whose dad owned the house we lived in and she was kind of ugly to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like she came up to me one time in high school in front of a bunch of people and was like, have you guys found a place to live yet? And I said, what are you talking about? She's like, well, you know, when I graduate high school, my dad's giving me your house. So y'all are going to have to find another place to live. Oh, my gosh. It's so cool. Yeah, I know. I know. So I have like some memories of things like that. But I was really lucky. We lived in the same town as my grandparents. And they they were amazing and provided child care for my mom. Um, they helped out with all of the extras. So mm-hmm. we didn't have to feel like we were missing out. You know, we got to go to camp and we got to do after school sports and things like that. And I, I they took us back to school shopping. And I just remember, um, you know, when we needed the extras, like they were the ones that that stepped in with that. Yeah, I've got some parallels in my life, too. Yeah. So what what kind of thing? How what was it like for you, I guess? Yeah, it probably was a little bit different. So um, I would say when my when my parents were together, we were probably like lower middle class right there. My dad had a federal job. My mom um, worked some, but she also was like schlepping us around <laughs> everywhere <laughs> to yeah. activities and stuff. So um, but then my parents got divorced when I was a little bit older. And when that happened, um, you know, things dramatically changed as they do for most families where you're now you know, you have two homes and, and all of that stuff. So I remember my mom telling me, because I was in high school, that she didn't even have to pay income taxes anymore. Like, that's where she was. So uh, yeah. it was it was a pretty big difference. It was not one that I – I mean, I definitely felt it. And I went to school with kids who were upper class or upper middle class, professional parents, you know, doctors, lawyers, and all that kind of thing. So I was always surrounded by people who had mm-hmm, a too. lot more money than I did. You did too. So I always was very aware of that. And I mean, I always had food on the table and like had clothes and we had transportation, but there there just wasn't a lot of extra, like you were saying. There wasn't, we didn't do family vacations that much. Uh, yep. There wasn't extra money to like go out to eat. You know, it was very, very strict budget, which I don't think is a negative thing at all. But I definitely yeah. remember I, there was a point at which I just knew, like, I just don't ask for certain things um, because I know that. I know that we can't afford them. Um, Yep, same. And as I got a little bit older, my grandfather, after my grandmother had died, he was definitely one who would, like, give me the pocket money and bought my computer Mm -hmm. for for college and for grad school, frankly. So uh, there was always the safety net of of the family, but I was very cognizant that I had less money than everyone else. Um, and I, I made my spending money by babysitting and I wasn't very smart with it. I mean, I used it to pay for gas and stuff, but I also bought a lot of CDs. Um, <laughs> that was where I spent my money on was, was CDs. So, um, I don't, I don't feel like I had much financial knowledge at all going into college or grad school, to be frank. Yeah. I didn't either. And I don't know if this was true for you, but I was very aware that like money was a big source of strain with my parents. Mm. And it's it had a lot to do with why they divorced. And it had when my mom remarried, like there was a lot of money strain. And I remember hearing fights about money. And so I kind of grew up with this just fear of money. Like money was the thing that would ruin your relationship. And Mm -hmm. there was never enough of it. And I definitely had this kind of scarcity mindset about money that it could all go away at any time and and that kind of thing. So I never really felt like money it's like something rich people understand, but uh-huh. we I wasn't rich and so I couldn't learn it and it isn't something that I could control. It's something that controls you and where your life kind of happens at the whim of the money that you earn or don't earn and and all of that. And so I had a lot of money baggage mm-hmm. um after college and when I started kind of learning 
to adult and run a household. I just had a lot of things I had to unlearn about money, like feelings, a lot of emotional baggage and stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, I just completely lacked a financial education. Totally. Yeah. I had to learn that on my own. And I was reflecting back on graduate school, which was a, a relatively negative experience for me. And so there was a year where we had to fill out all the financial aid paperwork. And I, I, I guess part of me just really didn't want to go back. And so I just, oh. I was late on turning in my financial aid forms and I still got financial aid, but I didn't get like the best financial aid. I ended up with some unsubsidized loans, which I didn't even know mm-hmm. what that meant. You know, like I didn't even know that I was going to be accruing interest while I was still in school with that. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. I was like, do I still get to come here? Great. I don't care. I mean, it, and, and the, the whole framing of, oh, everybody has college debt or everyone has student loan debt. Yeah. I don't know if you heard that, but it was just like, oh, that's just like what you do. And that has changed now. I think that people are realizing it's student debt is still debt that you have to pay back. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like there's a whole conversation we could have about being 18 and, signing these documents that are going to have ramifications for your whole life that I like I feel like there's just such an unfair burden we place on young people right now when it comes to college we could talk so much about college Uh um yeah and I was lucky I was on full academic scholarship for undergrad so those those conversations I didn't have to have but it was my um internship it was my post-grad yeah that was the same it was grad school for me because college I qualified for so much need-based assistance because of my mom's income that mm-hmm. I was able to get a lot of grants and like thankfully and through work study and working jobs was able to to get by. Yeah. Uh, so it really wasn't until grad school. Um, and we're still paying that off, although now mm. it's closer to what we paid for one of our cars, which feels a lot more manageable than it did. But I've been out of school for 10 years. So and we yeah. just paid we just paid Matt's student loans off like two months ago. Oh. <laughs> and he's 12 years older than me. So <laughs> It's it's a burden. I bet that felt good though. Yeah, it feels great. I mean, we're gonna be able to hopefully knock out my student loan debt this year. Is our goal. So you mentioned Matt. Um, what what kind of money? I guess um, upbringing did he have? Is it similar to yours? Similar, yes, I would say similar. Both of his parents were ministers, so money was tight. Um, I would say that there was a lot more emphasis on being like saving, saving pennies, no matter what, even if it meant buying something that you didn't really like Mm. in order to save the money. And, um, that was not as much the case, especially with my, with my mom. Uh, she was much more about like having things that make you feel good. Um, Mm -hmm. maybe more, more than she should have been. But, um, so Matt and I've had a lot of conversations about when is it worth it to, to spend money on something that's going to be higher quality or that you really like versus just picking the cheapest thing. So that's been an interesting thing. And I would say he and I are pretty much on the same page about those things. Um, what about you and Pat? Do you have kind of similar backgrounds about money? Do you spend money the same way? Now? You know what's interesting? We grew up in very different ways when it comes to money, but we have come to the same page. We're very much like a team when it comes to money um, yeah. and planning and things like that for our family. But we kind of got there over over time because we both were coming from very different um, places. Pat definitely grew up with a lot more um, financial security than I did and had um, – I mean, he always had – he worked a lot as a teenager and was always doing odd jobs to earn money and ha- it was always working. But, um, I was always, I worked too. And I saved all of my money because I was terrified that I was going to need it. And yeah. he saved it to spend it. Uh-huh. And, but he spent it on things. A lot of times he spent it on things he could resell. Like he was mm. fixing up cars and selling them and, you know, things like that. fixing up like computers and selling them. Kind of. He was, yeah. yes, he's been an entrepreneur since he was born. <laughs> I admire that. <laughs> I do too because that is just not uh, – I'm getting there. Like this idea that you can always earn more money, that is just a given with him and it was not with me. And so 
The thing that I think the biggest difference between us, though, is in my family, money is this huge taboo subject. Mm. We do not talk about it. We don't ask each other questions. We don't speak in like dollars and cents. We kind of use euphemisms like so-and-so is comfortable or, uh, you know, I got a good impolite. deal. But yeah. yes, it's it's impolite and it's also like because there's not a ton of it, it's kind of embarrassing to talk about and uh-huh. that kind of thing. And so that's part of why I think I didn't get really a financial education at home. I got the, I got, I definitely got the messages of like, don't spend more than you have. Don't get into credit cards. Um, you know, it's important to save your money, but like it was vague, like how much and how do you do that yeah. and where do you put Without it? Without getting into that the kind of thing. numbers of it, it's really hard yeah. to apply. Yeah, but Pat's family talks about money like they talk about anything else. They it is like just any other conversation and so it's not uncommon for them to like know how much each other earns and like they talk about how much did you pay for that and they they toss around those things like it's nothing to be ashamed of or it's nothing to feel weird about and I'm not necessarily saying that like one way is better than the other. I think there's kind of pros and cons to to both of it, but it's very it's just very different and I think you know, how we approach things in a, in a family context like that can really, um, set up, you know, the next generations for how they deal with money. That's right. And so, yep. yeah. But, and we're like, we, we had to have a lot of conversations because Pat's definitely more of a spender and I was more of a saver and we had to get kind of on the same page about what our big picture long-term goals are and mm-hmm. how do we get there. Um, and when we first got married, Pat had a lot of he had a motorcycle and he had a boat and he had the fun stuff because he had earned the money and was like, this is what I am doing with my money. And, um, that I was definitely more minimalist, but I also had gone through a layoff and kind of knew what it was like to have an income one day and then not another day, which is not, you know, that is in a a very informative experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, it took us a while, um, to get on the same page, but, but we definitely are now. Yeah, that's good. Like you said about your parents, I mean, money is such a source of conflict for most couples. And I think it's because there's so much emotion attached Mm -hmm. to it, especially if you grew up in a household like in your family where you just don't really talk about it. And I've I've made it more of a habit with people, I guess, because in the work that we do, we're talking about all the taboo things. Yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. like, especially with women, I just start saying how much I make. You know, and not a good for or, you. Or like, especially when I was starting my consulting business, I had no idea how much to charge my clients because yeah. I had never done it before. And so I just yep. really was grateful for the women consultants who were willing to tell me how much they charged per hour. I just needed mm-hmm. a baseline. Like, give me a range of what you charge, you know, help a sister out. Like, I need to, yep. I don't want to go into the market and be clueless about it. Uh, but it is uh, countercultural, I think, to talk about yeah. how much money you make. I think so too, and I—I I mean, my cynical side says that's a that's a great way to keep the people with money, um, yes, in in power <laughs> with money. It is, and because it's gatekeeping of information for sure. You keep folks out that don't know things like how to invest um, and what you know what to do with their money and how how to save and like the best tools and things like that. Um, you keep that information in the circles of wealth as they already exist. And right. so it keeps other people out. And, I, you know, I think there's something about that that's a little deliberate. Because we have this whole personal finance industry that's sort of built around you need an expert to tell you mm-hmm. how to manage your money. Mm-hmm. It's too complicated for the average person to understand. And you need to pay somebody to help you, which is not really true. It's not been true in our case. And the more that my husband and I learn about it, the more we realize that that paying somebody else to do it for us actually might lead us in directions where we'd end up spending money and taking bad advice and things like that. Like we, we kind of trust our own judgment better than. Yeah. And there's so much more information now that you can get for free or for low cost. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm really curious to know, um, what it was like, what kind of messages you got about money at church? Because this is something for me, I feel like I got a lot of money baggage from church. Mm -hmm. Um, just the the sort of like overarching money's the root of all evil kind of kind of ideas. I, I got a lot so of give that. it to the church then. <laughs> so give it yeah. So give it to exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I just wonder what kind of things you learned because the things I learned really kind of got in there and stuck with me and maybe gave me a little bit of weird um money hang ups. Yeah. It's good. I want to hear your thoughts too. 
because I don't know that I've got a ton of really clear messages. And as I was first thinking about this, I thought, well, the people I went to church with were were more wealthy than my family. But I think that maybe church might have been a bit more diverse economically than my school, Mm -hmm. because a lot of Mm -hmm. the families who went there, you know, sent their kids. I went to a private school. So a lot of the families Mm -hmm. at church were were public school and like didn't necessarily live in that immediate area. So -hmm. I think there was a little bit more economic diversity there, which is probably why I felt more comfortable there because I think Hmm. it more closely resembled my own experience. Um, But anyway, I remember one time the pastor doing like stewardship Sunday, which is basically like make your pledge to the church and always prefacing it with this is a pastor's least favorite Sunday is asking people to give money. But the Hmm. reality is the church is a capitalistic system. I mean, it's part of this culture in which we live. And I think sometimes we think, oh, it should be different or better and maybe in some ways, but they still have to pay the same vendors Mm -hmm. to keep the lights on. Hopefully they're paying their staff a salary Mm -hmm. that's worthwhile, often not. Um, So they still have to participate in the same economic system um, and so I think there's some contradictions. Uh, we can talk more about Bible stories because I know you've got one. But thinking about the woman, the widow's might, the woman who gave her last two coins away compared mm-hmm. to the wealthy who were just like giving and giving but still had lots in their pockets left. And the message was that what she gave was more valuable because she was giving all that she had, which is a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. But in reality, like the donors of the church who keep the lights on are the ones who are are treated better. I mean, they have more power, yep. they have more influence and like, that's just the truth of it. Um, and there's yep. a lot for us to navigate in that space of, well, which is it, you know? Yes. That is exactly how I felt a lot of conflicting messages. Um, I remember I have this distinct memory of, um, one Sunday, our pastor was out so we had a guest speaker and he was just a lay person from the church. I think he was the choir director and he was kind of doing that stewardship pledge drive kind of thing, but he stood up and he told this story. And I remember the reason I remember it is because I took notes because my mom uh, was sick or something that day and couldn't Aww, go. You took notes for your mom. <laughs> I think she asked me to. Well, I think she was like, I want, I want to make sure you're listening. Oh. <laughs> so I need you to take notes. Your church will work. That's <laughs> so- funny. Yes. So I took notes of this guy's sermon and then I brought it home and my mom was furious and I didn't understand what was so upsetting about this um, until we got to talking more about it. Um, I was probably 11 maybe. And uh, so we would have been still kind of in in tight money times at Mm -hmm. that point in my childhood. And so this, the sermon this guy gave was he told this story about this woman in a church. And every time they did their pledge drives, she would say, well, I don't have any extra money, but I'm happy to make a blanket for um, this quilt drive. And I'm happy to bring brownies to the bake sale, but I don't have any extra money. And then a couple years of this, you know, of go, uh, where she doesn't actually give any money, but she gives of her time and her, her service, basically. After a couple years, she gets cancer oh, no. and she can't pay her bills. Oh, gosh. And she goes to the church and asks for help with her bills. Oh, no. I can see what she's going. instead, I know, it's terrible. Instead of money, a bunch of people come to her house and drop off blankets and brownies. No, no, no. This is so wrong. <laughs> I know. And this, this, the whole theme of this was if all you give is blankets and brownies, all you'll ever get is blankets and brownies. Oh, because it's a transactional system. Yes. And so I'm 11 and I'm just like, oh, yes, blankets and brownies. And I'm taking my notes. (laughs) Makes sense. Deposit blankets and brownies, receive blankets and brownies. (laughs) Yes. And I take it home and my mom, like her head popped off and she was just, she was so upset. And we had a a really good conversation, the, uh, the two of us, about like how church is not transactional, how grace is not transactional. It's not about money and how much you can give and, and we don't bank. go to church. It's not a bank. It's not a bank. We don't go to church to try to get money. And the the measure of our faithfulness is not in how much money we give to the church. And we had a lot of conversations about that. Oh, they couldn't have gotten so, like a real minister to come give a sermon oh, that day. <laughs> so I don't want to get too much into it, but this particular guy was also in a very well-known 
multi-level marketing company. Oh, dear. And <laughs> one time my mom was in the choir and one time he called my mom and was like, I need to come over and talk to you about some choir stuff. And she said, sure. And he comes over and he's trying to recruit her for his downline. Oh, so no. this was just a – but, yeah, maybe he should have been vetted a little better before mm-hmm. he was allowed to get up and speak to the entire church. Right, about, like, so, a very important topic. Yes. Yes. And so I remember this, like, feeling of this pressure to tithe, and not with service, but with dollars. <laughs> and then on the other hand, we're learning about – the gospels in youth group and in Bible study. And what we're learning is that Jesus has a lot to say about money mm-hmm. and he talks about it all the time. And he, he frames it as give, sell all your possessions, give everything you own to the poor. It's easier for um, a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And he, and there's a lot of directives about that in the Bible. And um, I never understood what to do with that? Mm-hmm. Like, does does God want us to be rich so we can give to the church? Does God want us to be poor? Does God want us um, – what about, like, what is poor? What what about having our basic needs met? Like, are we allowed to, to do that or are we not allowed to have anything? Because Jesus didn't own anything, you know? And we were told to be like Jesus. And did we – what about rich people? Like, are all rich people bad? What about rich people who donate to charity? Like – I was very confused about all of this. And then, you know, a few years later, the prosperity gospel really takes off. And the prosperity gospel, that overarching theme is that, like, you can prove the measure of your faithfulness by how wealthy you are, basically. That um, poor people are poor because they're not good enough Christians. And that you you should expect your church to prosper and your individuals in the church to prosper financially if they're walking right with the Lord. And so um, all of that stuff (laughs) just created this very, like, confusing kind of toxic mix for me about money and the church. And I think it made me really scared to even, like, acknowledge that I wanted enough money to be comfortable. Mm, Like, that was was not a godly desire. Yeah, 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 that if I had enough money to be comfortable, I should be giving it all to the church. And it just – there's this whole, like, undercurrent of, like, deserving and undeserving of, of money, of security, of grace. Like, who who gets it and who should get it and all of that. And it's just – I still am very, like, what on earth are we trying to teach through our faith about – Earth, you know, earthly security and money and, and that kind of thing. I don't know. I love to know your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, thinking about Jesus and his teachings about money, and you had mentioned in our conversation about, you know, the, the give, give away everything that you have um, in order mm-hmm. to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's a story in math, the gospel of Matthew chapter mm-hmm. 19. And it's a, it's a rich man who comes and says, like, what must yes. I do? And he yes. says, well, follow the commandments, you know, and do that. And he's like, okay, which ones do I have to do? <laughs> and yeah. he's like, okay, well, all of these. And he's like, well, I've done that. So, like, what else? And he that's when he says, you know, you must sell your possessions and give your money away and then come follow me. And I think within the context of that is about, like, and I identify with that of just, like, what do I have to do to be good? You know, what do mm-hmm. I have to do to be good enough? And mm-hmm. I think it's really a story about what are the things that you're clinging to and trying to control? Like, this is clearly a controlling yeah. person. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just tell me what I got to do. And it's not about what you do. It's about who you are and the things that you value. And I think what he's saying in that passage is these things are actually keeping you from being the person you want to be. Mm. Your possessions are holding you back. Yeah. And I think that there's a way in which it's, again, living in under capitalism, that that probably impacts all of us. But it I don't think he was saying like literally what you need to do is like have nothing. But if you yeah. if you're valuing your things over the life of your your life and your values, then that's the thing that's keeping you from actually experiencing what you want right now. Um mm-hmm. if we think of kingdom of heaven as not some like distant place, but like in the here and now, what's keeping mm-hmm. your spirit from experiencing joy and freedom? And for this particular person, it was his what he owned. Yeah. That's my interpretation of that story. That makes sense. 
And that was, I don't ever remember learning it that way, although it's possible that that just kind of went over my head or something like that. I think we got really derailed. That's sort of what I remember about learning that particular scripture is that we got really derailed by what what defines rich and how much is rich and how much does a rich person have to give away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I just remember this like bizarre conversation around it where um I don't know that we actually they didn't give you an answer <laughs> yeah didn't give an answer and also didn't maybe really get to the heart of what it was about yeah know? it's a tough yeah. I mean it's a tough passage and I think I was doing a, a bible study this morning with um, the, our bible app about oh, yeah. the story of the prodigal son and the the older brother who is jealous of the prodigal son who's who receives a party when he comes back. And like mm-hmm. one of the things, and I'll have to link to it, but the writer says, look, this is a tough story. It's meant for us to, to wrestle with it. There are no easy answers. And I, I just wish mm-hmm. in church that we could say more often, this yeah. is a really hard story that we are not going to figure out. We need to wrestle with. Like it's worth yeah. just spending time with and churning it and seeing where it goes. And I think sometimes in a sermon or in a Bible study or whatever, we feel like we've got to just like get it to its essence. But in the same way, that's exactly what the rich man's doing. He's like, just give me the answer. Just give me yeah, the answer. Just tell me what true. it is. It's mm-hmm. like the answer. You already know the answer. I think he already knows the answer <laughs> in yes. his gut. And Jesus is like, you already, you already know what you need to do. So like, but sitting in that uncomfortable reality, I I just feel like in general, we, we just like want to distill it down into like the basic thing that we got to do to like follow, follow the scripture or live into our values. And it's a lot more complicated, but on this topic of what's too much or what's enough, I read a really great book and I don't think I've talked about it on here yet. Um, the Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. Have you read this book? No, I haven't. It's and I don't think you've mentioned it before. Really good. And um, I'll I'll maybe look at it again for a future episode because it's it's really useful. I heard her on an Oprah uh, Super Soul Conversation podcast. I'll link to that too. But she has a really nice job of talking about enough and how it's different in every context. And like a lot of the same anxieties are the same for people who have lots of money or have little money. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'll link to that. It's really, it might be a really useful hmm. tool for any of you who want to dive into this more about just your feelings about money and how you might be liberated from like the rich man's struggle in the, in the gospel, which is like, I really love this stuff. <laughs> I don't want to give it away because it defines who I am. That's interesting. Yeah. I would love to read that. So do you have other tools or resources that you've used as, as an adult to kind of get it, gain an understanding about money or to, to grow in your like habits and things? Yeah. And I'll talk for a minute and then I want to hear from you because I just went on a tangent about the Bible. <laughs> I have a tendency <laughs> to do that. Um, but I was thinking, well, of, I asked you, you did, you did, you did. <laughs> um, so the thing that I read first, and I think we might have this in common is I read Suze Orman's book, the money book for the young, fabulous and broke out of grad school. I never read that, but my mom was big into Susie Orman. She yeah. had, um, women and money. I think she actually might've gone and heard her speak, um, at some point and was really, she, uh, really admired her and the things that she taught. Yeah. So just like basic budgeting. And I think that's what that's what she helped me with was thinking about when I had my first job out of grad school, building an emergency fund and just basic budgeting mm-hmm. I learned from her. Um, so that was a big tool. I don't know that I use a ton of financial tools now. I listen to the fair sense for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Matt and I are in a pretty good spot now, especially now that I have really steady work. Uh, again, after mm-hmm. being on my own and consulting and going through the ups and downs. So we used to do everything on just like an Excel spreadsheet. And now, frankly, and you might do it differently. We're kind of at the point now where we know about what we spend and mm-hmm. we keep like big expenses low. Like both of our cars are paid off. Our mortgage is pretty reasonable. Um, the daycare is really the thing. But month to month, yes, like we're doing okay. We don't need to look at every single transaction. We're we're, we're pretty good. Like we're, we're living within our means, but thinking about how we want to spend this new income that I brought in for our long-term goals is kind of where we are. So, um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the plan to pay off the the student loan debt. So what about you? What tools do you use or what are your thoughts about money now? Yeah. So one of the first, uh, kind of like you and Susie Orman, one of the first tools that I 
found um, about college age um, was Dave Ramsey. Uh-huh. And I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Dave Ramsey, like the person <laughs> anymore. But um, I found his radio show uh, when I was like 20, 21. And I, I thought in the same way, his advice um, for just the basics of like how to think about your debt, how to budget, how to – he has the envelope system and the debt snowball yeah. and things like that. And that stuff was really eye-opening for me. Just kind of gave me a language to talk about money and things like that. And I even remember using his advice um, when I got my first job that had a 401k and they give you the packet and they're like, what funds do you want to put your 401k money right. into? And Daunting. I was – Yes. And I followed his um, little guidelines for investing um, at that time to put like a certain amount in high risk and low risk and um, mm-hmm. international and that kind of thing. And just gave me some kind of direction for that. And so that was kind of my first dipping a toe into the world of personal finance. And then I probably didn't again until um, Pat and I got together and we started really trying to figure out what our what our financial goals are together. Um, and I was coming to the relationship pretty broke, um, with student loan debt. And, um, we, we just wanted to, to, just to figure out how we were going to tackle this. And so we started right after we got married, we started using a program called you need a budget. Uh Mm -hmm. I love it. So we got it back when, before it was a monthly subscription, it was, it's the YNAB classic and it was where you could just buy it one time and it doesn't auto populate from our bank accounts. But um, we actually go in and enter every transaction we make, and then um, we can we can manually bring over our bank accounts um, to to go in, and then we like match up all the transactions. Like reconcile it, yeah. Yes, we reconcile it. And I um, I love their they have a a wealth of resources on just getting started with budgeting. Um, in the program and in the website and if you have questions about how to structure it. But we have we have like overarching headings. We've got like our monthly fixed expenses and then our monthly variable expenses. And then under those, we've got our subcategories of like rent, utilities, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we have our like personal spending money that we're allowed to just spend and don't, you know, have to check with the other about. Um and then uh, we have our long-term saving goals. And so we st- when we started it, it was just really good for us, like you said, to get a handle on just knowing how much we have coming and going every month. Then after the baby was born, it's been really good because we've adjusted a lot of things mm-hmm. in our household. Um, and my husband actually left his his job that kept him away from the house quite a bit, and he's now self employed. And so he um, his income is variable. And we're kind of we're kind of in that phase maybe that you were in where mm-hmm. um, when you were freelancing, like you're not ever sure. Yep. Um, and so we've kind of we so we took a hit on income and then we added a person to our family. So we've been reevaluating <laughs> that right now. And you're paying for daycare. And we're paying for daycare, yeah. So we're definitely in this phase of like trying to understand our new coming and going. But um I recommend YNAB for anybody that just wants to get started understanding their because for me, knowing where you go where your money is going is like the first step to being able to reach any kind of longer term goals. Um, and my husband and I, we both want to retire one day. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the sooner the better. Yeah. So yeah. when you don't have a job with a 401k and when, you know, Social Security is maybe not uh, something we should put all our eggs in that basket, um, you know, it's just for us, it was really important to start thinking about those things now. Yeah, those are all really good things. And we do a lot of automatic savings. So we have automatic. Mm-hmm. Matt does have a 401k. Uh, so that's all automatic. We sit down and decide how much of his paycheck we want to dedicate to that. We just did some investing in stock options there. Um, mm-hmm. And then we do same for saving for Sam's college. We just have that automatic. So a lot of it, we have a lot yeah. of money that we never see because it's just yeah. going into these accounts for long-term goals. And I think that that's actually really useful because if I don't see it, mm-hmm. I'm not going to miss it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you have any thoughts about like why it's important. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, especially like women um, entrepreneurs, like sharing information with each other about what they charge and things like that. But I wonder if if you have any other thoughts about like why it's important for women to be having these conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned this 
firsthand from just watching my mom go through a divorce and what she had to learn on the fly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it caught, I think it didn't like catch her off guard, but I think a lot, there were a lot of financial implications for her in that situation mm-hmm. that I, that I witnessed and was impacted by personally and like have learned from. So I think one, it's just important for women to have financial literacy so that you're not dependent on anyone to give yes. that to you. Um, and you should be able to like know where investments are, how much is in your accounts. Like you should have access to everything. Uh, in our household, I manage a lot of that. Like I do our tax returns and all of that. But I think even if you're not the one doing a lot of the work, your partner, if you're in a partnership, you should be talking about it and know what's going on at all times. Don't yeah. lean on someone else to do it for you. My goodness. Like you need to know that. Uh, I also think that by not talking about it, we contribute to the pay gap that continues between mm-hmm. women and men. And, you know, again, when you're talking about what's at what's at play, I think the whole taboo around money is, again, like you were saying, to maintain some of those pay disparities. And if mm-hmm. women aren't talking about what they make at work, those things might never come to, their, to the surface. So I think mm-hmm. it's important to just like for your own uh, for own fairness in your work or wherever is to talk about how much you're getting paid. Um, so yeah, just having like financial independence and, and knowledge of what the trends are around you is really useful. So, cause I think sometimes, I mean, my husband and I've talked about this, like when he goes and asks for a promotion at work, like he just goes for it, you know, like he doesn't have yeah. any problem asking for more money. Um, and I think men are socialized to, to think about money is really important to who they are, which has its own downsides. But the upside is that they like get what they ask for a lot of times. And I know a lot of women don't negotiate their salaries because they're worried that they'll be perceived in a negative way. Um, but yeah. I think we've got to unlearn that stuff and, and ask for what we're worth. I totally agree. What about you? Yeah, I pretty much echo a lot of what you just said. There, There's something I learned about later as an adult um, that's basically an emergency fund, but I like this framing of it. Have you ever heard of an F-off fund? (laughs) I think so. If not, I want to know what it is. Yeah. So it's basically um, especially important for women, but for anybody, like like you were saying earlier, it's important to not be dependent on somebody else. And something that an F-off fund, the way that I've heard it talked about is that you can't like leave a bad relationship or an abusive relationship if you don't have the money to like put a mm-hmm. deposit on another apartment if you're living together or um, if you maybe need your own – if you don't have your own car and you need to go get one real quick, like you need to have some cushion somewhere that you have access to that nobody else does maybe um, that is your cushion so that you can leave a bad situation if it's a bad relationship, um, if it's a bad job, you know, like being able to to stop putting up with abuse at work. Um, and, and it's just important. Like that's one of the reasons having your own money and access to your own money is, is uh, so critical so that you can – have that control in your life to, to walk away from something that's bad. Um, and so that's something that I have, you know, told my younger sisters to do. And like, once I learned about it, I was just like, yes, this is, this is really important. Yeah. It's really good advice. Yeah. And I think like you said, like understanding where your money goes in the household, not just letting, um, your spouse, uh, take care of it, like knowing what you spend, what, what's coming and going. And then don't be afraid to, get your hands dirty with money, like mm-hmm. learn about investing and take yes. control of your 401k if you have one and where your money's going and um, learn about IRAs and learn about owning property, um, things like that. Like it's not scary. You just now I do. I mean, I have been in spaces before where it's the there's personal finance um, is sort of what why people have come together and men do tend to dominate the conversation and it is a little bit intimidating, I think for women to speak up and ask questions and things like that. But, um, we'll take a look and see if there's any, um, like women specific resources for this kind of stuff. Um, I've heard of Elevest before, which is like a women own and run, um, investment firm for women. Um, so Mm -hmm. I think I've heard of that too. Yeah. And so there's, there's some things out there that if it's intimidating to you to get started, like you can, um, start in some like female friendly spaces before you, 
before you move um, move into other spaces. But um, I think just – sure. Yeah, and, and everything you said about asking for a raise and priori- prioritizing your salary potential. And I just want to say, like, it's okay. When you're a young woman and you are trying to pick a career, it's totally okay to pick something where you're going to make a lot of money. Like, don't mm-hmm. think that it's not feminine or it's not, like – because for me, I mean, part of this was the church culture too. Like we were taught to be selfless and that went into choosing a career that is going to be all about like giving back and, and you're supposed to mm-hmm. not be thinking about the money because that's greedy and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, it's totally okay to, when you're, when you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, like factor in your salary potential. Um, that doesn't make you a greedy person and it doesn't make you, mm-hmm. um, you know, unattractive or unfeminine or whatever. And if it does, you don't want the guys that would think that anyway. So. Right. Yeah. Go get your money. Go get paid. Go get your paper. Yes. <laughs> so we probably need to shift gears into what we're reading yeah, and listening to. Yeah, this good. We could have talked for yeah. hours about it, but I'm sure people are like, when are y'all going to wrap this up? Yeah, get to the point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What we're reading and what we're listening to, I wanted to share about a, an account on Instagram I've been following. And I'm I'm so interested now. I'm such like not a millennial uh, or an old millennial, but people are doing such creative things with Instagram and using yeah. it as a way to share not just pictures, but words and important messages and things. I'm learning as I go. And I learned about Rachel Cargill on Instagram, who writes a lot about whiteness and race, justice and self-love. It's a really good account. I learned about her from Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast, when they did an episode on white fragility. And I just was really interested in what she had to say. And she has this recurring post that I thought was really relevant for today. Um, She posts it every Friday or has been posting it every Friday for a while. It's a way of checking in with your friends and and reminding them, hey, I, you know, you have value and go do something nice for yourself. So she posts every Friday. Happy Friday. Cash app slash Venmo slash PayPal a friend five to ten dollars for their Friday morning latte and tell them how proud of them you are, even if it's just for making it through the week. Invest into each other, into each other's mental health, into each other's happiness, into each other's knowing that we are loved and cared for and ultimately enough. And I have to give you a shout out because I kind of broke down this week and was talking about how tough life was and how I'd bought this new marker set just for myself. And a few (laughs) days later, I got a package in the mail from Amazon where Ashley had sent me this book of like pretty lettering to practice. And it was just, it was such a sweet thing. It's very much the equivalent of what Rachel's calling for, which is like just do something small but really nice for your friend. Just be like, hey, I'm thinking about you and I want you to do something nice for yourself and I'm going to make that happen by giving you this money or buying you this thing that you want. So I have to shout out to Ashley because it was a really sweet friend thing. Aw, you're welcome. Thanks for the (laughs) shout out. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I have a podcast recommendation. I have a few books um, on my bookshelf that I can't wait to share, but I wanted to share this podcast because it fits in with this theme of money that we're talking about. It's called Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Yes. I love that podcast. So Gabby Dunn, if you're not familiar, she is a YouTube content creator. Um, She's a writer and does some like funny sketch stuff. She's part of a, a comedy writing team. But she started this podcast a few years ago. She um, she wanted to explore her money baggage. And so the first season is basically about her kind of diving into why she's like very open with her credit card debt and how like kind of all over the place she is with her money and how she just makes really bad money choices her whole life. And she's trying <laughs> to understand why she's doing this and like make better choices. And mm-hmm. so she talks to her parents and she had kind of a wild upbringing where maybe they didn't have um, – like the basics covered, but she could go to this crazy expensive summer camp. And they were kind of this, you only live once, you know, spend your money on whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you have money, spend it. And so she had to kind of unlearn some of that stuff. And, um, she talks, she talks to a psychologist and she just sort of learns about the psychology of money. And she spends the whole season looking at that. And as she's learning more about money, she starts realizing the systemic, um, issues that come with money in our larger culture so why people some people get paid more for the jobs they do than others why um people in creative professions aren't valued for their work um and she starts to explore like the systemic issues and like the credit system student loan system so her subsequent seasons i think she's got three now are all about like bigger picture of like what is capitalism and how did we end up in a capitalist economy in the first place and are there other economy styles that that work in other places in the world and um who 
why are people rich and why are people poor and how do we um, how do we talk about class and and money at the same time and so it's just fascinating fascinating stuff and she comes at it from a very like curious and just wants to learn about about this stuff and so um, she has interviews with fascinating people and I just think it's a great podcast so go check out Bad with Money with Gabby Dunn. Good job to both of us for being on topic. Yeah, and you're up for Kindred of the Moment. <laughs> yes, and I'm hopefully also going to stay on topic. I, I heard about uh, this woman, Ruchika Tolshian, on an interview that she did on Harvard Business Review's podcast, Women at Work, which is also a really good podcast. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Ruchika is an inclusion strategist, and so she works for herself. And she said, <laughs> even now, even though she writes for Harvard Business Review, she still gets asked to do things for free Mm -hmm. all the time, which is super annoying. Mm. She's a woman of color. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, this stuff never stops. Um, So solidarity, sister. Like, I feel the same (laughs) way. People ask me to do things for free all the time. But she wrote this piece for the Harvard Business Review called Women of Color Get Asked to Do More, um, quote, Office Housework. Mm-hmm. And here's how they can say no. And so I was thinking about, you know, emotional labor and unpaid labor and the labor that we do that we don't actually get promoted for, but we do around the office. Mm-hmm. And she has some really good tips on how if you're asked to do these things like ordering lunch, how to get out of them so that you can actually spend your time at work doing things that are meaningful for you and also are going to get you promoted. So this is a quote that she that she included for on the spot requests like ordering lunch. I've said, I really need to be present during this discussion as it's critical to what I'm working on. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then she said, I've previously written about a group of female professors at Carnegie Mellon who formed a I just can't say no club to help them refuse what they are what they call office favors. Cultivating this network of allies becomes particularly important for women of color as we progress. So having accountability and just talking with other women about how you say no to these requests. So if you're always the one taking notes or going out to get lunch. Or getting coffee. Getting coffee. Clearing the paper jams. She talks in the podcast about a female CEO in a meeting where the men in the room asked her to get the coffee. Oh. I'm not even kidding. So. I'll I'll link to the podcast episode and to her almost just swore. article as well. It will, yeah, it'll infuriate you, but I also appreciate how she gives some really practical advice for what to do when you're asked. Because mm-hmm. we all know it's wrong, yeah. but what do you do to get out of it? So she's got some really yeah. useful tips, and we'll we'll link to those in the show notes. Love it. Yeah. All right. So that wraps us up for today. And next time, we're going to be talking – we're going to expand the money conversation a little bit beyond just our personal money experiences. And we're going to talk a little bit about the church and money. So focusing specifically on toxic charity – when dun, helping dun, dun. hurts. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right. <laughs> talk, talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you.